are Squawking Dead, a podcast pulverizing episodes beyond the Walking Dead universe. Sometimes we give you news, sometimes we make you laugh, but most times we go deep. I'm your host, David Cameo, and I'm joined by fellow hosts, Sharon D. A. K. Blazy Gardner. Hello. And then Bridget, ko-fi.com slash punky brewster. That's P-U-N-K-Y-B-R-U-I-S-E-T-E-R, as well as Survivor's Tier member, Takira, ko-fi.com slash Connie Dixon for life. That's Connie Dixon. The number four, L-Y-F-E. And today we're here to talk about the fifth episode, the first season of The Walking Dead Daryl Dixon, titled Deux Amours, which means basically two loves. It references a song by Josephine Baker called J'ai Deux Amours, which means I have two loves, I think, or I, yeah, I have two loves, referencing her love for Paris and also her her homeland. Was there, that was America. the song that was playing as they were going down the river at the very beginning. Correct all. Before we continue, of course, I wanted to mention that we have the art design covering our discussions on The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon, that's available in our merch store. It features a (laughs) very able Carol dragging a zombified Daryl through the (laughs) desert. Of New Mexico. (laughs) New Mexico, the North, North Africa, whatever it is, could be anything. With the words, obviously, Squawking Dixon at the top, and it says... L'espoir est perdu. L'espoir est perdu means hope is lost. So <laughs> enjoy that little nugget. We mentioned it in the blog as well, just to kind of get everybody up to date quicker. Based off of a conversation that we actually had, a special conversation that we had during the period of time where we were covering The Walking Dead Season 11, when it was announced that Carol would be off the show, and we're trying to think of ways in which she could come back to the show. And that was one of the scenarios we thought of. <laughs> oh yeah, Carol and Daryl are there, but it's a Walker Daryl. And she has to drag his corpse, his undead corpse, <laughs> throughout the desert. Why not? Let's go with that. Bridget does not like this scenario. I no. don't like it, but the art is Terrible. spectacular. So yeah. you'll see that. me in the t-shirt. You will see me in a t-shirt, but not okay. Not okay. Mm, I don't care. <laughs> so it's, let me start off by saying this episode is very dense. There's so much material that I was able to lift off this show, references, things that require more context, Easter eggs, thoughts. We're flipping back from the past, which, okay, we get more answers as this is the penultimate episode. But I mean, there's just so much to this episode. Thankfully, there's only a few major points that I want to talk about, but there's just so much other things. There hasn't actually been an episode that I didn't like of Daryl Dixon. I will say it was hyped up as the best one of the series, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but I did love the episode. I, th- I think I do agree with that, though. <laughs> <laughs> just because of all the prior episodes. Yeah, not saying that I didn't absolutely love the episode. I just, I don't know. I feel like the next one's going to be the best one of the series. <laughs> Maybe that's what we've been saying since the first episode, maybe. I I mean, true, yeah. But that's the only reason why I'm saying this one isn't, because I truly feel like the next one will be. But so far, is it? But so far, yeah. So far, yes. Uh, I noticed this trend from the last episode. Some people's biggest fears about this series, I think it was mostly referring to Rachel, but I think other people echo the sentiment, was that feeling that this season is not going to hit the mark when it comes to capping it off nicely. And so... Keep that in mind when you're giving your first impressions. One, I was dodging spoilers for this episode like I was dodging COVID this last week. Okay. So like just like spoilers from today stay or away from spoilers me. from before today. Well, there's been spoilers about season two already that have come okay. out. Okay. So I've seen that. Yeah. Some of it. 
I've seen it, unfortunately, because people are the worst and they don't do the thing on Twitter where you can like obviously hide your photo, but it's fine. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it's that. It's as simple as that. Just post yeah, it. Yeah, Kira, hide your photos. No, I mean, I didn't realize like people were already spoiling. Oh, yeah. Food. Yeah. No, oh, mind. it's been spoiled. Anyway, I had heard from Julian Cannon, for instance, that this was the best episode of the season. I did see that, too. Wow. And he had said he was frustrated. It took so long to find out what had happened to Daryl, which is that's classic Julian for you. <laughs> I want it now. I disagree with that. I think it was fine that it was this episode. It built some suspense throughout the season. That can be good writing. So I wasn't upset about it. I don't know if it was my favorite episode so far, but it was really up there. You got to see classic on his own, Daryl, which oh, I enjoyed. So many sides of him, too. Yeah. And a lot of the traditional Daryl that we're used to that I think I think for some reason through the last couple seasons, you know, especially season 11 of The Walking Dead. And then also by seeing this show I and mean, people have forgotten who he is. Because there's a lot of like, this isn't Daryl. Like, that's what I, you know, that's what we heard l- last How episode. Do you with know? The, it is, though. It's like, okay, the, the torture, the no, like, I'm not talking to you when they say that. <laughs> Just so you know. The unwillingness to help other people. Like, that's, uh, that is him, the hot temper. Do you feel like in this episode, you got to see an additional dimension to him that we didn't see before? Yes. Okay. And we will get to that. But- I talked about it. I, like, I responded to my television out loud <laughs> at that moment. Where I was like, oh, oh, Daryl. Yeah. Yeah. I'll share it later. But anyway, I really enjoyed it. And I think we got to see some more classic TWD stuff, which I really enjoyed. And more zombies. Thank you. (sighs) Loved that. So much more. Oh, and you know what? I was right. To everyone who watched my live breaking down the first 10 minutes in the trailer, who later said, like, we don't think that's a variant all over Twitter. You're wrong. Mm -hmm. It was. (laughs) And you're an idiot. And you know, I couldn't blame people for saying otherwise, but they literally showed like a zoomed in picture and they were like, see, it's not a variant. And like, I don't even know what it was. It looked like the most Photoshop thing I've ever seen in my life. But uh, it was a variant. The one that was running after him on the boat, right? On That's boat. what you were talking yep. about. Okay. Do you know why people said that maybe though? Because we had said the guy that was running across the roof in The Walking Dead Dead City. The yeah, guy who was doing was parkour trying to get away from the Croat. We, well, he wasn't a variant. And the reason why we said that is because his body was beat to all living hell. So oh, obviously he's a zombie. Oh no, it's a human. And that's sad. Richie spotted it immediately. Oh, oh, Richie. He was like, that's just a variant. Oh, I know. Your your husband values his privacy. <laughs> Don't keep your name out of my mouth. I want the government listen. Government doesn't listen to the show. So do most people. It's the okay. one thing the government doesn't listen to. Is, <laughs> dead. is this show. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not going to be the one to say, oh, I'm going to unalive the president. Look, look, look. I'm not saying that, yeah. but maybe we can get more followers that way. Whoa, they, they took... The- I don't, those are the kind of followers I want. <laughs> well... Hey, Sharon D., what do you think about this episode? Are they going to pay for me to go to Comic-Con? <laughs> I'll give you a front row seat in the state penitentiary. <laughs> I don't want to be involved in this angle of the conversation. Like <laughs> Your picture's not being shown. Like Who's Blazy? What's her... Where does she live? Like, oh, I'm telling you, Kappa. I liked it, I guess. I- I don't think it was the best episode of the season. I like this. I like when when people <sighs> give their 
We have different I, opinions. Okay, than the norm. this is going to be very unpopular, but I know it was a parallel to what was going on in the present day. But I totally could have done without the whole boat thing. Like I didn't really feel like I needed to see it. He could have explained mm. it, but I get it. I get it. It was a parallel to what was going on in the present day. He's helping this kid that can't help himself. Somehow, this kid. 14 years into the apocalypse doesn't know how to chop wood and so he helps this kid just like he needs to help Laurent who doesn't know anything that time could have been used better I mean I guess they also had to show it so we could see what they were doing going over collecting all the walkers and going across the ocean but I just feel like that was a, a lot more than needed to be in it an American walker in Paris I just have to say it <laughs> Sorry. I love it <laughs> that's two that's two American walkers in Paris now <laughs> dun, 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 dun. RJ and what was his name Juno Juno what a name anyway right I hear what you're saying about some scenes I actually even agree with you about the boat I almost don't need to see the boat I don't need to see even the whole thing to almost appreciate okay I didn't even need the story at all but the boat in particular didn't need but not doing those scenes would be the exact opposite of what Fear the Walking Dead season eight thus far was trying to do, which is basically tell you everything. And as things are even happening. <laughs> so it's kind of like, yeah, pick your poison. You know, do you want things to be explained in a more narrative way, even if there's going to be some filler or just say everything as you're doing it and also explaining origin stories without seeing it? I think there's a little bit of difference there. Yeah, no, of course. Both extremes are bad. Fear was just telling us the entire season. Like, they, they yeah. weren't explaining what happened before or anything. I was like, let's just explain the entire... Let's explain what they're watching right now to them, because they let's, don't understand Let's just it. read the book, right? This, let's just go back is, to the I book. I think that's a little different. But, I mean, I take your point, but I, th I think that's a little bit different. Him coming across on the boat doesn't really have anything to do with the current story, other than what they paralleled. But that, that happened before... And especially during the speech, having it overlaid on the speech right. was actually I mean, it, it was, interesting it was, touch. It was all right. It was all right. And the walker in it was really cool. Do you know what it reminded me of was the cordyceps walker, how it had no control over itself. It just kind of slammed into the walls and didn't even use its arms, just came running up the steps and blammed into the walls and stuff. It even looked like one with all the veins popping out. It looked like all the cordyceps growing over its face. And I, I really, I'm just so over Quinn. Just be I, done with him, please. This The whole storyline with him and Izzy just it makes me icky. It's icky. I don't like it. Stop it. Kill him or something because it's gross. That part bored me. I was like, God, please get through I this. I found it. F there's some things about it that made it super, super fascinating, though. But we'll get to it, <laughs> I suppose. Let's get the juiciest part out of the way. I don't see many excited faces about this I think a couple or one of you had mentioned in the episode beforehand, Paris sera toujours Paris, which was that, oh, maybe Rick is back already, which I kind of want to pick your brains. I have no opinions because also they could be talking about Morgan because he had Mark left. Dwight. You know, that was actually my first thought for some reason. Because My be more first thought was Morgan. Right. What did I miss? No, my first thought was Dwight, okay, actually. So He's on the radio with Carol. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Carol okay, goes, I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, you know that's guess my who bad. came back? And then the radio goes out so we don't hear. That yeah. to me, that was like the most exciting part of the episode for me. I was like, ooh, it's Morgan. And then I was like, no, ooh, it's Dwight. Wow. <laughs> my head went towards some, like negative. The governor? <laughs> like, I didn't think it was good and at he all. he cut off Rick's leg? Like, I was like, the way I was she like, was uh, like, she sounded like her, so down. She was very monotone. We're in the flashback. He leaves the young man who was chopping wood to go call on the radio call back home. They 
connect via a relay station because the other dude that employs him to do the Walker collection was basically relaying in with another station so that they can relay all the way down to where the Commonwealth is, I guess. So the first thing that she says is it takes getting used to. And I didn't think anything of it at first, but if whoever it is that just came back needs some getting used to, would that be Rick? It could be. It could also be Dwight. Or Morgan. I mean, her and Morgan always had a tense relationship. Mm-hmm. Not always, but by the end. <laughs> but she is one of the people I think that visited him, wasn't it? Because she's talking to Daryl. Who would Daryl be least excited about coming back? Dwight. Especially by the send-off, right. That was actually my gut thought. My first thought, obviously, was what people were saying. People were saying like Rick is back. She wouldn't tell him about the white. I feel like she would hide it because she knows yeah. that it would make him upset. Yeah. Because he can't, like, he's far away and trying to do something else. I just feel like she wouldn't tell him if it was the white. The last thing she knew is that he promised to off him the next time he saw him. But he's already said he's on his way back there. He's on his way back. I'm just getting some fuel and then I'm headed back there. So she wouldn't be interrupting anything he was doing. My first thought was Morgan. Daryl and Morgan, like, they didn't have a super. Uh, did they even do anything together? Like, for the most part? I don't think so. Yeah, Daryl brought um, Morgan to Alexandria. Yeah, but, I mean, but that was it. Like, they, they didn't have much to do with each other after that. I don't, I don't remember. Not that we saw, but that doesn't mean that they didn't. Yeah, my first right. thought was Dwight because... Or my first thought was Morgan, and then it was like, no, Dwight, because Daryl would not be excited about Dwight coming back at all. I'm going to go back and kill him. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. And there's a lot to unpack there, too, because if he is back, who is he there with? Is it just Dwight? So <laughs> anything is possible. And would Dwight be back if he made it to the Commonwealth somehow? His back would be Alexandria, wouldn't it? Sure. But Alexandria still exists, I think, for the most part, right? So I can see a world in which he goes back to the Commonwealth to see what's what, maybe. But he doesn't know about the Commonwealth. No, but he will if he visits Alexandria. <laughs> maybe it's Sebastian. Sebastian came back. <laughs> Again? <laughs> Again, <laughs> you know what? We didn't even think about it. It could be Maggie. It could be Maggie you know, or yeah. Negan. Or Negan. I didn't even think or about Negan. them. Yeah. But hold on a second. Could it be? This is where the timeline thing comes in, and it's really annoying because if we're not mistaken or if we're not wrong, uh, technically Dead City happens after the Walking Dead Daryl Dixon. Oh, in, yeah, in the timeline, it could be that Negan's back, and it could be that Maggie's back, but but not within the context of Dead City. I'll Dude, just say that much. It's Heath. You know what? I've been thinking about Heath a lot this episode. And do you want to know why? I'm glad you brought this up. Because Daryl is presently in Maine. And if we're talking about Maine, we're talking about maybe Tales of the Walking Dead's fifth episode called Devon and the PPP card that he finds in his flashback scene uh, in that episode. And that was on my mind throughout my, my entire first watch. It's the same card that was left when Tara was trying to find Heath, if that's if I'm right about this sequence of events. So I guess for some reason that's that just stuck out of my mind and that maybe and then I'm thinking about, oh, pouvoir de vivant. Maybe there's a connection there. <laughs> what is the card open? Oh, it's one of the cells in the boat. I don't know. But I don't know. It pays to mention this, I guess. When he said that they were in Maine, I missed that the first time. So going back and watching it the second time in the first in the scene where they first show him. And he's walking the motorcycle and the guy stops to talk to him. They show the sign behind him and 
it has a moose on it. And I was like, they must be in Canada. What is he doing in Canada? But then later on he said Maine, but I swear it was a moose on the street sign behind him. It just cracked me up. Maine's got meese. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason, when Daryl said he traveled, I always thought he went south or or west. I never really thought about him going up to Maine. (laughs) Why would you go where it's so cold? Yeah. <laughs> I, I always figured if he was following any kind of a trail from Mashona Rick, then he would have had to go north. You know, the question of why he's there, let's say, regardless of Rick or any of that stuff, that interested me a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to make of it, even. That's to say, New York could be a thing, but why all the way up to Maine? Which was another little thing he was that got, running got, like forest <laughs> <laughs> on his bike. What is it, a Flintstones bike? It's just a very interesting thought to think of why he might have gone as far as Maine. And that's what got me thinking of, oh, maybe there was an indicator for Heath. Like you had said, maybe it is Heath that Heath is back. And if he is back, he's with a group, maybe. But the most New, New England-ish thing that I heard on this show that Juno says when he talks to the young man and asks him what he can do to join the group in their hunt was the following statement, chop some my firewood. And I was just like, okay, he's nailed it. Chop some my firewood. He didn't say ale one time. I was disappointed. Maybe I missed it. But <laughs> I mean, he's obviously out there for fuel to get back home, to keep his promise, blah, blah, blah. I thought it was kind of cool the way he was bringing the walkers back and he was shoving a twig between their cheeks so that they wouldn't bite. I thought that was very clever. And the concept alone is pretty cool, too. I mean, obviously, we know that and Daryl knows by the end that they need these walkers for these French experiments. And it looks like it's true that the scientist is conducting the experiments on the boat, but that's really a means of using the time at sea to do as much as he can while he's, because it takes, I think, uh, I think up to two weeks to sail a freighter. I kind of checked this out. I did the math. It takes, I think, about roughly two weeks max to sail from Maine to La Havre in the north of France, too. So, of course, you want to use that time wisely. And did you notice the, the two control groups of walkers? Why there were two different cages? I saw one said feed. And the other was fast. So basically, they're they're trying to test to see whether fed walkers and non-fed walkers react differently to certain stimuli. That's interesting. I was wondering, it's something that had popped into my head earlier, but it kind of was affirmed in this episode. But And this goes back to the future. (laughs) 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 And near the very end, where Daryl's in the arena essentially and that walker comes in and they shoot it in the neck with a dart have they been working on weaponizing them is that what's been happening like so, yeah. what in the world so i, I guess that's too. what they were doing on the boat i thought they were trying to cure it but no we're just weaponizing it see I- i'm not ready to count out the idea that they're trying to get rid of them but if whatever cure that they're creating causes them to be suddenly aggressive I'm sure they want to make it so that they stay aggressive for as long as humanly possible until they finally croak. But I'm not sure. What do you guys think? It looks like they're making like super soldiers out of them mm-hmm. or something because we're one France. We have to defend ourselves or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they're going to start taking out people with these super walkers. Right. Well, it does dovetail really nicely with what she says at the end. This also explains their pouvoir de vivant, why that they chose that. Loss gives us power. They gave us this disease. She's blaming... The disease on they, and I cannot wait to talk about that because it's it just dovetails to what we said at the last episode. They gave us this disease. Their disease can also be our cure. So basically harnessing the dead to fight the oppressor, let's say, 
you know, or to fight against the powerful, the elite, etc. And then she screams, pouvoir des de vivants, which is power to the living. We were the meek that were left, and we inherited the earth, and now we're no longer meek, is what she says in the speech. And now she wants to make the, her enemies pay. I had high hopes <laughs> for Janae. I just don't know. I'm still not 100% going to count her out as a thing, partially because of what Laurent says about her. He says that her heart is broken, and it really cut her to the core. Mm -hmm. I tried to tie that with what she says about how this virus started. Greed wasn't enough for those few elites. They resorted to infecting the populace with this plague. What if she's lying, though? What if she is the they that started it so they could take over, take over from the elites and give power back to the people? But I'm sorry, you named yourself the Sixth Republic and you're up there barking orders. I don't think you're in it for the people. It's for you. It's like the French Revolution where they took down the elites and beheaded them all with a guillotine. Well, instead of beheading everybody with a guillotine, they set loose the virus on people to take over. And maybe it got out of hand. Maybe they only meant it for France, and it got out of hand and spread everywhere else. But they still get to take the power. She's been in power for a while. Like, I don't think this is a new thing that she's just stepped up. That aside, which is an interesting thing to stew on, I'd also thought that maybe for a second, but I'm really not sure that she had some involvement in government. And for her to even know that, it was the elite that started this thing. Hence why her heart is broken, as Laurent says. But I'm backing away from this because of her methods also. And what we found out in the last episode. Well, maybe we should talk about this now. Because what we had said in the last episode is that she refers to Impressionism as degenerate art. Entartete Kunst is what it is. And I'm sure I butchered that. Because Germans are very particular about how you say things. But... That reference is attributed basically to Nazi Germany. Impressionism at the time, comparing it to, to traditional art, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Wasn't she, Hitler a failed art student? You don't have to be one of the elites to move up and have power. He was nobody. I read something one time like if he had not been a failed art student, if he'd have been you know successful as an art student, think how different the world would be now. Am I the only one getting cult-like feelings from this episode? Oh no, we're going to continue. I have more to say about this because you'll see that as she was talking about on this speech, I got the distinct feeling that she was saying similar things to what people would say about the protocols of the elders of Zion. There are a few elite. That was meant to be the vibe. I mean, like, look at the backdrop they gave her. The set piece even to set that up was very much that vibe of like, it looked like a Nazi rally from... Mm -hmm. you know, World War II era. When she said the Sixth Republic, the first thing it made me think of was the First Order in Star Wars. The Force Awakens are like, all they need is a big shiny spaceship behind them, and that's exactly what they would be. <laughs> you really wouldn't need much, just a bit of the CGI in the background. <laughs> Call it a day. But if, if you're lost on why she calls it the Sixth Republic is because France had undergone many republics in its attempt to create a more democratic country. And the republic that it's currently in is the fifth one. It's the second longest running republic since their French Revolution, basically, and when, they're tr when they ousted the monarchy. Why that's important is because the person who created the fifth republic was Charles de Gaulle as well. And what they're celebrating that day is Charles de Gaulle Day. Basically, he was a general in World War II. He was called Le Général. So basically, he was a very important figure in fighting with the French freedom fighters in World War II to oust 
Nazi troops from France, chaired the provisional French government from 44 to 46. In 1958, he became prime minister. Upon doing so, because of all the different political wins in France and also the colonies of France, he had said the following, which Quinn says in the episode. He says, Charles de Gaulle used to say, how am I supposed to govern a country that has 246 varieties of cheese? Meaning, post-World War II, you had the French colonies, primarily not Argentina, it was Algeria, which, by the way, my brother-in-law, Jerome, I'll say his name, shout out, brother-in-law, he's uh, Parisian, he is from an Algerian family, Algerian Jews, so they're Sephardic Jews with the Middle Eastern background, basically, North African. You had that to deal with. You had a lot of ethnic, ethnic French that lived in Algeria that were against this. He was elected prime minister in 1958 and later on that year became president of France. And he was re-elected in 1965, resigned in 69 after losing a referendum that would have proposed a more decentralized government. Up until they established the Fifth Republic, he helped establish the Fifth Republic. They had a basically a sole parliamentary system. He switched to what most countries do, which is a dual executive government. So you have a president, prime minister, prime minister as well as parliament, like a, a parliament with less powers. Later on in life, he wanted to decentralize France more, which angered everybody, basically, to basically be have more checks and balances in government. And they said no, which makes sense considering France today. Shade! Uh, <laughs> so one of the big things that he did, though, was something that I mentioned was he granted independence to Algier, uh, Algeria and other North African countries and colonies. It basically granted all of France's colonies independence, basically. I think almost all. No, I think all. Anyway, one of his big policies was was pr pursuing French sovereignty over everything else, like alliances. They, they even exited NATO. Basically wanted France to rely only on its resources, kind of like the British with Brexit, essentially, a few years back. And in doing so, they became the world's fourth largest nuclear superpower during the Cold War. He's a very interesting thinker, too. And he definitely respected the job. That cheese statement was his like George Washington moment where George Washington did not want to become president, even though he was also a general, too. So it was kind of this interesting thing. It was like, how am I supposed to govern 246 varieties of cheese, basically the French populace? Oh, yeah. And then you see this freaking Janae character, which is like establishing the Sixth Republic based on a sort of sense of high authority, creating these monsters, essentially, to fight enemies, even though she says in the same speech, welcoming friends. Like, okay, how are you supposed to welcome friends with hungry walkers, les affamés? But that Protocols of El Elders of Zion speech, basically saying there are elites in the world that caused this thing, is exactly what Hitler said to rally Germany against the Jews, essentially. There's a, there's a select few, they're Jewish, they control the banking industry, <laughs> that whole thing. It's just scary. But I, I will say one humorous thing. The scene with she, Laurent, and Isabel in her office, she says the following, <laughs> don't make me angry, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Did you spot that? Do you know what that's referencing? The Incredible Hulk. Hulk. <laughs> How random. I thought it was a little out of place, too. She's trying to convince this kid to go along. And then all of a sudden she says, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. That was one of my favorite Laurent moments, by the way, because he was like not having any of her BS. <laughs> she wants me to lie. She's a liar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In French. <laughs> en français. What do you think it means? <laughs> Does it mean she's a walker and then she can magically turn to a walker? So there's this added benefit of the apocalypse happening, right? Kids who are like younger, you can use all of these cool lines that you've heard in your life and they don't know that you stole it from something. <laughs> so suddenly you have a world of 
slogans, pop culture mottos, references, references just at your fingertips to sound so <laughs> cool. So you're saying after she she finished watching, but if Morgan, nobody recognizes them, they're not cool. Like, what's the point of pop culture references if because well, it gets sounds your cool? Well, maybe what Isabel if you got could it? be the person who said "Yippee Kaye, mother so effer. Isabel, well, well, Roy Rogers said that before. <laughs> Bruce Willis did not with that. Roy Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't not... say it. Uh, he didn't say that part at the end. Maybe he did, but it was like with he did behind closed drugs doors. and prostitutes. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. The horse said it for him. It was like yippee ki yeah. Oh, the horse, the Don't horse was on drugs horse? too. What's the matter with you? I get it, I get it. It sounded like a dolphin. It did kind of sound like Flipper. You know, Roy Rogers had his horse stuffed after it died, right? Yeah, oh, no. I did hear about that. Yes, I do know who Roy Rogers is. <laughs> Just yeah. the audience that would be like, "Who the are you talking about?" Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Get exactly. So Google. you can steal all of Roy Rogers's lines. For our current audience, because they have no idea what you're talking about. We have to say sort of goodbye to Aslan. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. That, was a, that was tough. There were, uh, there were a few sad moments in this episode that actually got me pretty I emotional. I should have known. He passes in the Chronicles of Narnia, too. What The Chronic what? The Chronicles of Narnia. But the Chronic what? Coles. Charity. Coles of Narnia. Thank you. Man, I, I thought I teed that up Thank really you. well, though, too. No. <laughs> <laughs> Are nuns vegetarian? I can see an order of nuns being vegetarian, though. This doesn't seem... Mm -hmm. Then again, what do I know? I'm a Jew. Well, it may have been like a lack of access to other types of protein if you're trying to remain sustainable and you don't have anything readily available. So, for instance, let's say they had chickens. You're going to eat the eggs. You're maybe going to have chicken once in a blue moon because if you only have three chickens well hopefully you have a rooster because otherwise you're done after those three chickens <laughs> after two years or whatever you ain't getting any more eggs well the hard part is hens most people destroy the the males when they're born mm-hmm. what i was thinking was they probably subsisted off of whatever the they garden. could grow yeah yeah in historic times Abbeys and nunneries were very adept at self-sustainability. Like they grew their own stuff and wove their own cloth. But even then, like they weren't going out hunting. They weren't hunters. And I'm going to say that Isabel was not a hunter. At least she lived in the city. I don't think she ever had a lot of experience hunting. I'm sure that as a modern nunnery, they probably kept a little garden or something, but they probably got most of their supplies from the outside world. So they weren't particularly prepared to do things like hunt or dress animals after they killed them or anything like that. They probably didn't do that in in the modern day. And they yeah. probably didn't want to after the world fell too. Right. They probably wanted to stay and inside. It's too dangerous like to go out and mm-hmm. hunt yeah. and you don't know how. And like you said about eggs and chickens, you keep the chickens for eggs. You don't kill the chickens mm-hmm. because they you have a supply of eggs. And also with so much death in the world, they probably didn't want to contribute any more death. That's a good and point. And if you're going to raise Laurent to be someone who inspires people and values life and to raise him to not be a hypocrite, which they're doing a very good job of, it's pretty hypocritical to say how much you love life, all life is precious, and then go and eat cows. She <laughs> said it. She <laughs> said it. Morgan. She said it. She so said it. Morgan that line. kind of answers my question because I was like, why would he need to promise God not to eat animals? Well, that was the covenant was he made you. with God. Yeah. Okay. So like 
I was thinking about the covenant thing a lot during this episode because a covenant with God is a promise. Throughout this episode, it, it comes up because God made a covenant with Abraham. That comes up during this episode. What I was thinking of primarily was Isabel's covenant with God, because when you become a nun, you're making the promise that you are going to live your life for God and God only. Celibate. As an individual, you can make a covenant with God. You can make that covenant over whatever you want. People do that all the time. And then you say you're not going to do like Lent, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Wait, isn't Lent that like is a, a great covenant? Lent is a great example. It's it's not really a like newer Christian thing. That's kind of that does pull over from Catholicism. So some people participate in it as different variations of Protestant, but not necessarily. I don't really do it. I have in previous years, but during Lent, it's the time in which you're preparing yourself for Jesus going to the cross. Like it's Jesus's last days on earth. And so during this time period, you give up something and it's supposed to represent the fact that Jesus went into the desert and gave up food and water for 40 days, but also that he gave up his life willingly for you, for your sins. So you give up something and it's meant to be something that's impactful to your life. You could right, give up some random thing, something you don't use. But the Catholic tradition is to give up meat, which is why like right. fish fries are such a huge thing during that season. Is Especially because, in the Midwest. I was very surprised yes, when I saw fish that. Fish is not viewed as like a meat so right. they can eat fish, but typically they do that on Fridays. So it just depends. Well, it depends on your belief. <clears throat> yeah, well, yes, uh, um, it depends <laughs> on your belief and and where you know where you want to go. I've done like where I've given up sweets. Anyway, that's like a personal covenant with God, so anybody can make that. I thought it was interesting that he had chosen to be vegetarian, but I wonder if instead, if it was I made a covenant with God that I would never take a life. That's what I. Think that could have been what it yeah. is. I don't really know. I feel like it might be more along those lines. We theorize that the reason they're reluctant to kill walkers, as we've seen, is because they think that there's still possibility and they could still be alive. So obviously they value life. Mm -hmm. So if they do, like I said, if you want to raise Laurent to be a good person, not be hypocritical, then you can't kill animals to eat them if you think life is valuable. Here I am eating this this meat that I had to kill. I had to take its life, but I think all life is, I am going to say a Morgan line, all life is precious. Less about being a hypocrite and more about being an example. Most people are told, I guess most Christians are told to walk in his steps, to try to live his life as close as possible, knowing full well that you will fall short. Yes. And so that would be their way of saying, well, here he is walking the steps. He does the things that he would that he ha would do. Let's say maybe down to fasting or whatever. Maybe like dying on the cross. Hopefully not. Oh God, what if that was the end game? I don't like that at all. But anyway, there's some evidence that suggests that this that why the vegetarianism is the case, and they mention or Aslam mentions going back to him because that's where we started. <laughs> he mentions their leader, the Union of Hope, which also kind of goes back to what you were saying, Bridget, about this order, that there is a sort of order and it starts in the nest. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the leader's name was Losang. Losang is a Tibetan name and one of the biggest Tibetan scholars when it comes to Tibetan Buddhist monks, let's say, uh, is Losang Samten. And he's a Tibetan American scholar. He's a San Mandala artist, former Buddhist monk and spiritual director of Shenrezig Tibetan Buddhist Center of Philadelphia. So that's what came up. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, so their spiritual leader is a Buddhist, is possibly not this person, 
but like a, a Tibetan Buddhist monk. And so if that's the case, it's possible that all he eats is, is vegetarian, let's say, or maybe even vegan to that point. And so if he's supposed to be a similar example to the people as Lasang, well, then he would follow in those footsteps as well as as him fasting. It was interesting that, that Aslan did share that it was okay as long as it was the only thing available, like that there was already a set of rules in place. Yeah, which does borrow from both the, I don't know about the Muslim tradition, but he says he is a Muslim, so he must be, he might be citing some Muslim tradition on that front, but in the Jewish faith as well. If if there is nothing else to eat and you are in the wilderness and you may die and there's a, even a doubt that you may die, you may eat like something like pork or if that if there there's only wild boars available. I remember you talking about this in a, in a past episode where you were saying that saving your own life takes precedence yep. over Actually, any of the, the season, rules, yeah. Yeah. over any yep. of the laws. If If your life is in danger, it takes precedence over that law. Absolutely. I'm glad it kind of comes back around here in this episode too. So when you were talking about a covenant with God, in Judaism, there is a similar, it's actually in the Bible, in the Torah. So it's not like a Talmudic thing, but it's in the Bible itself, which is kind of a big deal. When something's actually in the Bible, rather than something that's interpreted from the Bible or something that was in the oral tradition of the Bible, rather than the written tradition, pay attention. There is a concept called, which is probably where Jesus kind of got it from. It's called being a Nazir or Nazirut. This is when you, I'm going to butcher this because I don't remember all the rules, but you don't cut your hair, kind of like Samson. You don't eat meat and there was, oh, you don't drink alcohol as well. And you do this for, I think a maximum, I think a minimum of 14 days. And it's your own little covenant with God to get straight, basically. Not as a sobriety measure, but more of a way to get closer to God, kind of like realign yourself. So he could be borrowing from that as well. I mean, I thought of it too, when I noticed his look after all these episodes, you know, he is... His, his hair is unshorn. Could it be from birth? I don't know. Maybe. Not eating meat. Of course, not drinking alcohol. So, you know, there's, there's a little bit of that borrowing from that as well. You realize as the people in the cells of Daryl's cell whittle down and it's, it ends up just being Juno and Daryl when they finally think of a way to break out, which of course has to have been over the course of, like you alluded to, several days. Mm -hmm. you know, feeding, probably feeding these walkers once a day. Or do you think that's the fed and the unfed control? They brought these guys on to feed the feed the fed control group. That makes a lot more sense to me. They would basically get humans, trick them into getting on the boat so that they could keep the fed ones actually fed. I just want to add one more thing to what you said, Sharon D. Yes, they kept Daryl and Juno and whoever was in that cell alive in order to feed those walkers. But when they are escaping and Daryl gets the keys, the cells next to his cell had walkers in it, mm -hmm. which with which they could use to <laughs> to distract the guards so that they'd be overrun. I found I find it interesting that maybe they kept Daryl alive to feed the Fed, but maybe they kept the others. Maybe they killed the others recently in the other cells in order to have really really fresh walkers. Let's say as another control group. But I'm thinking, or maybe starve them and they eventually died. So like, that's the best batch, right? That we didn't kill them or anything. They were untouched and they died of starvation. Gross. The real question is, why are they having to bring them over from the US? Don't they have enough walkers in Europe? Are US walkers different? And they're like testing the genetics on US walkers. Will this mad making compound V walker stuff make American walkers act different than European walkers? And do we have to go get some Asian walkers? Like, are we going to have to go to China and get some 
get some Chinese walkers. Some I mean, typhoon. Like, what, why are they going? Why are they going? <laughs> are we going to go to South America and get some Bolivian right. walkers? What's what's going on? Why Super. why are they getting them from America? I had said at one point during this season that I was curious if it was because all of the variants originated in France. Maybe you know, allegedly because of the coda that we see at the end of World Beyond with the information that we get from Dr. Jenner and the woman who's there. How whoever comes to kill her says you guys just made it worse. So I'm led to believe that the variants started there. That's my belief, at least. I don't really know. But if that's the case, then do you need unaltered or uncontaminated walkers? Now, to me, you could get them from Great Britain because it's literally an island and it's much closer. But I don't know because it's also airborne. So is it though? I mean, we is think. It? We don't everybody know. has it, so yeah, how else how did, did they all get it? get it? Speculation. Yeah. We don't know. Anyway. But I think the answer might be a lot easier. Based on what has happened in this episode and the last episode, I'm taking a bit of a leap with this one, so bear with me. I'm going to make another comparison. Why, why experiment on real Germans when you can experiment on the Jews? Mm. It's really that simple. Like non-French? Why taint the dead are dead? When we can but still, take again, the dead from another country, you have but other it, sources. Still, right, you have closer Russia. You have England. You have Spain. Africa's right. It's, well, just, it's across the water, but yeah, yeah Germany's right next door. <laughs> that is a good question. We're twelve years in. Maybe they did go to those places already. Maybe their experiments have been more fruitful from the walkers from America rather than from other countries. So maybe to your point, Sharon, you may have, maybe there is something it's all in that our McDonald's genetics. in our systems. That we make we make good test that. subjects. Yeah, we make great tests. We're great lab rats, apparently. And maybe it's because there's more of us. It's more of us that are alive. More of us that are dead. Maybe here's here's a thought. This this can be so out there. Maybe they're testing the amount that is in like radiation, right? Like viral load, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. So how much viral load do Americans have a different amount in them than the Germans do? Because the Germans are closer to ground zero. If they're in a certain part of the Americas, is it different? Like maybe it's something like that. Could be. I feel like we don't have too much to go off of, though. It does beg the question, why America, though? It, it does beg, beg the question, have they taken samples from other countries? And will we get an answer to that? I wonder. This all does go back to Dr. Jenner. And maybe following his notes that, that were left behind from the other scientist, the French scientist, let's say, that he was in contact with. Here's another question. Why five foot four is the limit? Yeah. I felt very offended. Me too. I mean, you're taller. <laughs> oh, wait, you're, you're short, right? Five three. Oh, five two here. Holla. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to look up to holla, though. It's like really <laughs> very ableist. I thought it would be more of an easier thing so that they're not taking children. You might confuse somebody who's that short for a child. So th- I thought that was a good rule to also in case this is, this is the this is the thing. I don't think these guys cared that they may or may not have killed that young man. They don't. The chopping wood dude or whatever. Just as long as it's not kids, let's say. And so whatever goes as long as we're not harming too many of the innocent living, let's say. If they're into uh, eugenics, also it could be to avoid picking up. Someone who has dwarfism or something like that. Right. Well, yeah. Someone who has dwarfism that would throw off their calculations oh. or whatever. Okay. That's fair enough. But maybe on the note of that, though, the rope burns around his neck. Do you think Gino and his crew actually killed the dude? Yes. Or 
Hundred yeah, percent, yes, absolutely. See, I'm not sure after watching the entire episode and I rewatching do. to get notes. Well, let me let me say why, and then you can go back and forth. And maybe there's not much to go on anyway. But I was just thinking that it's possible that they didn't because the last time we see him, he has a conversation with Daryl. He had said to Daryl that he was going to go to California. It's got to be better out there, right? And you are thinking while you're watching, no place is safe. And maybe that's what Daryl wants to say. But he kind of looks at the radio part and kind of goes, yeah. Or he says, he just goes, he says something. He doesn't really reassure him. Well, he says uh, something to the effect that everywhere is bad. Not that he's been there, but just that like nowhere is good. And we have seen California and it is not good. He says, what makes you think that? And then he responds, it's got to be better than here. Right. And then Daryl gets distracted. Mm -hmm. So I was just thinking that maybe he really meditated on that, the kid and decided to hang himself. Because I can't think of why there would be rope burns around his neck other than that. They were roping yeah, up the I walkers. I thought they killed so they him with a rope. The, wrapped the rope mm-hmm. around his neck and killed him. I'm actually not that convinced. Of course, at first I thought that. But then I thought, why the rope burns to begin with? Well, I assume that Juno killed the kid, but the kid also did lie. He tells Daryl that he did have a bunch of walkers, but he went to go piss and he came back and they were gone. And one, I was like, well, either someone else took them from you. His expression for it, by the way, fill the canteen. Is that what he (laughs) said? like that. Either someone took them from him and he's being like bullied by one of these groups or he didn't actually catch anything and he maybe didn't even really go hunt because he seems scared and incapable. Well, the wood chopping was a good indicator, too. Mm -hmm. But it reminded me a lot of a lot of the kids that we've seen that we've been like, why aren't they better preparing them? Because you don't know how long you're going to be around. So you have to really give them as much information as you can, as they can handle, like as soon as they can handle it. Because you don't know, you Hmm. could die the next day and they'll never know all the information that you should have given them. I'm looking at you, Aaron. And that's the thing I was starting to realize, like maybe he started to realize that this was a fruitless effort, that he was never going to be able to quote unquote, real or imagined, rescue his girl from from the clutches of her father, which that's a story also. Maybe somebody whispered like, dude, you need to go watch Fear. You need to go kill yourself (laughs) also. (laughs) Because when you watch Fear, you'll realize no place is safe. So kill yourself. And he did. I don't know. I'm not convinced. I'm just saying it's just an odd note. Either way, Daryl let his temper get the best of him again. And it reminded me a lot of how he reacted with Negan the first time that he met Negan. There's no exceptions. You cannot fight. So you're either going to lose the gasoline that you've worked so hard for or something worse is going to happen. You've been told this. Mm, This was one of the first rules you were told. You cannot fight. What does he do? He goes to fight this guy because he just can't stand it. He can't stand the thought of this guy getting away with something that he, he deems is wrong. Even though... Truth be told, he doesn't know the whole story. He doesn't know what actually happened. But and also, is it about Juno or is it about himself too? That he saw the signs, he saw maybe there was something there, there was a danger there, and he did nothing. Well, he about feels it. bad that he didn't help the kid because he—that's the kind of person that he is. Isn't that why he lost his temper, really? Yes, but ag- again, it doesn't matter why he lost it. He cannot control it. Oh, but it does <laughs> because maybe as we he's go like me to the present and day, he heard it relates. That- sexual deviant comment and and was convinced that he didn't need to know the story because they're gross and they did it <laughs> yeah have you ever talked to a mainer so i'm saying all all people from maine joke about sexual deviancy come at me bros braz i kidding. apologize to the state don't of sexually maine. deviate me please don't sexually deviate me 
as you joke about it. I love that you're switching over to deviating instead, <laughs> instead of deviancy. I mean, why do you think Maine has so many lighthouses? Phallic much? Wow. Wow. This Love it. went off Love the rails. It. Okay. Anyway, well, can we, we have move a lady on? with a torch. What does that mean? <laughs> anyway. Well, you know, equality, right? I just anyway. want to say we didn't quite have a fish thrown at anybody, but there was a fish involved in this episode. A fish and Daryl, which is gratifying. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> also, Takira, I thought of you immediately when when Lauren asked him about his friends and the first one he named. We named the kids first, and then he said Connie. I was like, Connie! yep. Yeah, I was talking about said, this. Then he said something too that led us to think he finally said the kids thing. You got to learn to take care of yourself. I miss Issa. We all got people we miss. What people do you have? I have friends. You know my friends, but I don't know about yours. It's not fair. Life's not fair. Ask the fish. All right. Uh, let's see. There's Judith and RJ. They're kids like you. There's Connie, Ezekiel. There's a lady named Carol. They sound nice. Yeah. How do you know? You miss Isa too, I can tell. C didn't feel a thing. Not to worry, we'll all be together again. That's when he's talking to the fish. That's not the line I was talking about. I'm talking about something different. I thought that there was a different line where he had said something in reference to children, not naming the kids. Uh, okay, okay. Not naming the kids. Well, are you talking about the conversation with Aslan? Where fathers come come back to from war and they take, yes. basically take it Thank out of the kids. Thank you. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, yes. Let's, yes. Let's dwell. Let's dwell on what he said. Cause we're here. Cause I want to get juicy. I want to get a little spicy here just because we can. First of all, you said Connie and I could instantly, I heard a bunch of Donnie fans. I heard a bunch of jizz all over the place. <laughs> and then I heard them jizz even more when they said, and then I'll, some lady, no, he doesn't say some lady, but <laughs> a, lady. And then a lady, a named lady, Carol. Carol, listen, I don't care who you ship, why you ship them. If that's why you watch it, that's cool with me. But that was funny stuff <laughs> at, at the end of it. Now, I know what they're going to say, but Carol, you saved the best for last. I'm like some late, but some lady named Carol. No, on, no. The, what I saw online, this is what I saw people saying online. This is what I saw. He said I didn't see a it, but lady. I could, I could he feel said it. a lady named Carol, not some yeah, lady. Some, some lady, some random lady named Carol, who I happened to mention at the you end because I remembered no, her. There, that is a very, that is a very semantic point. He said a lady, not some lady. Yeah, I'm not a caroler. A I'm not a caroler. Have you? But he said a lady, not some lady. That is very different. <laughs> have you noticed that I'm not really being serious whatsoever? <laughs> I mean, you can see me. I can't see you. But <laughs> some random lady who I think her name is Carol. Yeah, her name is Carol, right? <laughs> just kidding. Well, the Carolers, the Carolers will just go, yeah, but she's the one he talked to on the radio. They were saying online, I'm not even kidding, I read this on Twitter. Oh, it's so weird that he brought up Carol last. I wonder if he was feeling shy and he just didn't want to share that part of his life. And I was like, oh you know my God. Y'all come up with anything, anything to sell this. I'm not saying one way or the other. I was going to use that as maybe a defense, like, you know, some person I may care about, like, like mentioning it last deliberately to throw Laurent's spidey senses off. That's it, right? Right, Bridget? That's he was trying to throw Laurent's tummy feelings. No. While we're, no. While we're here, there were no romantic undertones when he was on the radio with Carol either, because that was well, all over Twitter. <laughs> you you want to talk about undertones, though? Okay, let's go here. When... <laughs> When Laurent says, <laughs> you miss her too, Daryl doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah, he says nothing. 
But he's saying this, and just to your points, he's saying this to illustrate that's how I know you how much you care about the people beforehand because you you mentioned beforehand because you I'm getting the same sense when I mentioned Isabel. So how about them undertones? <laughs> Relationship. <laughs> I'm shipping Isabel and Daryl. Yeah, yeah. Quit Let's it. Let's ship them. Quit Let's it. Ship what them. is this? No, what, what is, is their ship name? <laughs> Everybody's Darabelle. hating me. Cool. Annoyance. Like it. It's Darabelle. <laughs> Darabelle. Let's run with it. Disabel. No, no. Darabelle. It's fine. Is a, like it. it's a pretty name. Is a role. <laughs> no, no. We got like we got Darabelle. It's fine. Darabelle. Dizza. I hate it. The Do you guys realize <laughs> why we came up with Donnie? Because if we did it the other way, it would literally be Carol. <laughs> <laughs> or Connell. It would be Connell. I used to call them that because it was funny <laughs> but anyway so there's a lot going on here i you have to kind of do the thing where you bring this up and it's just like fun to play with because this is the th- type of thing as we mentioned in a previous ep- episode that people seem to care about and i love to poop on from all vectors <laughs> <laughs> and you guys take it so seriously even I though do. you claim you don't like shipping but you maybe you do don't maybe that's true but man, does it get under your skin when I go crazy on Connie? Ugh, no, that's not happening. I'm sorry. No, I've been. I've, Isabel. I have trauma Darabelle. from Twitter. <laughs> trauma. <laughs> it's not my problem. Not my problem. Not my monkeys. Not my circus. I kind of like Disabel, actually. <laughs> I like Dizza and Darabelle, but not that Disabel. Is it just, anyway, it's moving not, on. It's not egalite. Moving you know? on. Anyway, um, so, <laughs> so, so let's go to Oz, what Ozan says. Okay, let's that whole conversation I wrote well, probably I the, the most notes up, on. So. Well, keep it up. Okay. That's what you say to your husband. So then when you... So, <laughs> Dave, I don't have to say that to my husband. Bam! <laughs> oh, God, never mind. <laughs> They're sitting down for the night. They have their fish, probably. Their fish fry because it's Lent. <laughs> and Hazan says, alone, he's just a lone wolf that wants to get back to his pack. We get into the promise part, which is there are times when a man's promise gets overwhelmed by a connection to other people or a larger cause. Let's stop there for a, a hot second. This is the story. And this is something we've been going back and forth on because there are some fans like Rachel. We'll just call her out. Come at me, bruh. <laughs> that I just want them to be back with the, the family that we know from the show. And who cares about this other story? Meanwhile, there are people like me and Bridget, unlike, see, I'm drawing lines now <laughs> in this podcast, like me and Bridget, who are like, no, this is what these new stories are going to be about, expanding the universe, having these insular stories that don't have to connect to the greater universe, even though they do, and just filling out the space of a show that's over. It's over. It's not coming back, even though Screen Rant articles have been popping up in your damn group, Takira, from year, from a couple years back, about season 11. And then I woke up in the morning. I'm like, what? They're coming back for, coming back for <laughs> an extension to season 11. Oh, that's that's when they decided on having an 11th season. Fuck you, Takira, and your group. <laughs> anyway. Whoa. So this is a message to the audience narratively that sometimes a man's promise is overshadowed by where he is now. And by the people that they're connected, they become connected to or by a larger cause. First of all, does anybody have any thoughts on that alone? That sometimes a promise can't be kept. Well, think about... Um, as much as we want it to. There's parallels. Think about Rick made the promise to Morgan, and that did become overshadowed by the fact that he needed to leave the Atlanta area, and so then he was not able to reach out to Morgan every day like he had said he would. Interesting. Lori's promise to Carl that he would 
beat this world. Yeah. And maybe we're talking about ideas rather than people. That's true. I've heard that excuse. That it's the idea of Carl that Rick was trying to keep alive. That persists in mm-hmm. its own way throughout the series about creating a better future. Eugene chooses to come clean with everybody about not actually knowing a cure because he chooses to bond with the people that he's with. So that's, that's another example. A much more spot on example because it relates to all dimensions. But do you think in the terms of the show, it's the show's way of angling us as watchers to expect that Daryl's going to be staying in France for a while? I think that's what they're trying to say. Well, we already have a season two, so clearly. Yeah. Yeah, but most people watching the show don't really keep up with the news. Oh, it well, that's It seems fair. like that from our vantage point. Do you remember when you first came on, you said, like, I don't know anything about news and mm-hmm. the walking dead. I wish I didn't I met know you guys, and I wish I didn't join Squawking Dead. Yeah. That's what you said. That's what I just said. I was very hurt by this, Bridget. <laughs> and so, but not really, because... You know, whatever. I'm I just selfish. wish that stuff wouldn't get ruined for me for me by well, people. Well, your loss, my gain. I just have personally. to delete Twitter. Is really what it is. I think you know you need the strength, the commitment. Because Twitter to, is. You need to cut out meat also and uh, give up something like Jesus. So, but well, I, I'm not I think give that's up important. Jesus, but I'll give up Twitter. <laughs> no, like like I know, Jesus. I know what you meant. You. By the way, you so said don't it, give, it up like, give up something for like me. Jesus. I'm not. I'm certainly not worth it. So he says, but he really thinks he is. <laughs> okay. Wow. I, I just think that Daryl's response to what Aslan says, when a man dies in someone else's war, it's his kids kids that suffer. And then it says that get passed down to their kids. So what was he even about, essentially? So I really want to talk about this because on first watch, my brain instantly hit to his dad and how maybe... Mm. A lot of that abuse came from PTSD from the Vietnam War, let's say, maybe, I think. Maybe. Uh, see if I'm getting the timeline right here. I thought of Glenn. You thought of Glenn? Okay, so what did, why did you think Glenn and, and Herschel? Um, or Herschel more than Glenn? Or what? explain that. The part about the, the children being affected, I just really thought about Glenn being the one person that had never taken a human life, but he wanted to help Rick in this war against the saviors. Mm-hmm. And so he did it. And then look what happened. And his son is now growing up without a father. I don't know. It popped in my head like immediately. So you meant the father died rather than came home and, and right. brought that the yes. aftermath of that cause that Aslan speaks of. OK, so but it's the death part. OK, the death part. Yeah. OK. I mean, it can refer to a bunch of things. It could be in reference to himself. He fought and went to the Commonwealth and then he was the caretaker for Judith and RJ at that time. And so there was stress that was brought home there. It could be in reference to the fact that Rick is gone. And maybe he knows more information about that now. But obviously, we know from the scenes that we've seen that Rick is in the CRM in some way, shape or form. We're not really sure what that means or what that looks like. He looks like he's a prisoner, but he's fighting someone else's war and his kids have to live without him and their mother because she went after him. And they've seen the effects of having their father being mm-hmm. gone on a daily basis. It can That's refer to Carl because Carl was deeply affected by everything that was going on with Rick mentally during the Savior War, during All Out War. I mean, it can refer to quite a few things. If you think of it in terms of like, nobody asked for this to happen and it just did, then this isn't hasn't ever been your war. The entire apocalypse hasn't been your war. And look at how many people have died and never come home or come home and and been completely different people or they're not the people that they once were or how much stress can create 
volatile situations for everybody involved. So it really strongly represents everything in this world. And the irony of Janae trying to, in some way, recreate, not that world, but create the Sixth Republic, resembling what once was and bringing that here. She does say in her speech that the enemies are the people who wanted to make this world like it once was. But I think what she was trying to say was where the few could control the many. But there's a misguidedness. When we look at the universe, we think, we as viewers, we always think, oh, but it's huh, it's the ultimate FOMO, as Bridget said in the last episode. It's a chance for me to make it better or to be my best self or the thing that we always say in most episodes. The Walking Dead universe makes it so that you can be what you were meant to be. And what I like about what Daryl says is it's almost a little warning to the audience to say, it's not what it's all cracked up to be. Forming factions in this kind of world where it's already pretty hard to live means you might have to do unspeakable things that, that will be also be carried down to the people that come after you, too. The people that depend on you. Let's say it's kids. Let's say it's people you love. And so maybe it's not the ultimate FOMO that we crack it up to be, too. That this is real life. And I know I wasn't going to touch on this, but it's a lot like what's kind of going on, let's say in the Middle East, and how there's always somebody that seems to want to say something about something they're not currently living, but it's a lot different when it's on the ground, no matter what you think about that situation. Yeah. So, yeah, we have we have no business vocalizing harsh opinions one way or the other because we're not there. We're not living it like those people are having to live it. So like quickly jumping back into this episode so we don't dwell on it, that may be a little bit about what he's talking about too. That it's not all that it's cracked up to be in that even though we survive it, that trauma gets passed on to the people we love and it travels on to their children and so on and so forth until we forget what the cause was in the first place, yeah. like the walk apocalypse or whatever. I mean, it, is. it makes me think of Daryl and his relationship with his own father, too, for that reason. Right. The first thing I said, yeah. Doesn't it always have to mean war, right? Day to day can be war for people. Some of that seemed to me more like, you know, generational trauma that can be passed on. So maybe Daryl's father wasn't great because his father wasn't great. Yeah. Like the Hatfields and McCoys, right? Where mm. one person was it's killed like by one feuds. side, the other side killed somebody to in retaliation, and then they go back and kill the other side for retaliation again, and it just escalates until nobody yeah. even remembers what happened at the beginning. Like if you go back and try to find out the beginning of the Hatfield and McCoy, they don't know. They don't remember what the start of it was, but it went on for 70 years, something like that. They just mm -hmm. kept killing each other. That and the situation in, in Israel right now made me think of that too, where it's just been yeah. generation after generation of people killing each other. And that's what they think they're supposed to do now. Just kill each other. Dovetailing off of that is just like religion as well. It has caused many catastrophes as well, as much as I don't even want to talk about that. Not specifically speaking about the Middle East, but I'm talking about just in time and memoriam. Causes that people take on, bigger causes as Aslan talks about, that people get swept up in and it causes them to break their promises. It's out of their hands. It's as much as you want to keep that promise. And I, I also thought about like a reflexive thing, like sometimes when you make a promise and then to hold on to that promise belies living. Because you mean well when you when you make a promise to somebody, but sometimes if it means that to keep that promise, it diminishes your life in any capacity. Sometimes when you make those kinds of promises and you keep them and you realize the other party said, why did you even keep this promise? You hurt yourself so much in order to keep this promise. It wasn't worth it. Okay, like a blood feud, like a, like a family feud. <laughs> 
with the Hatfields and McCoys. Like, what was that all for? What, what, what was that cause for? Ultimately, in the end, a bag of silver that was miscounted. Like, oh, that guy, whatever. You get what I'm trying to say. It's like anything, isn't it, though? An opportunity comes around and or I don't know, like a friend, you promise you go see this movie. with a friend. So let's talk about something completely benign. You promise the friend that you go to a movie with them. It's like, oh, you know what? And then another friend comes on just, hey, you want to see this movie? Like, no, I promised Brian that I so who is where is Brian? He's in the kitchen. I promised Brian that I'd see the movie with him. And then you find out that Brian saw the movie without you. Like, oh, what was why did I keep that promise? It, what the what? That's so stupid. I just and, and it's out of theaters. Congratulations. So that feels really like- personal, Dave. You know what? I'm really mad at Brian. Bridget, I thought the same thing. I was like, that's super <laughs> detailed, Dave. Really that personal. sounds very specific. <laughs> but it's like, isn't it like anything? You know, I used to I used to do this uh, when I was in music. Stuff like this would happen. You promise you'd pay, play with specific bandmates or you have this project that you're working on and you're you're loyal to the people that you play mu- beautiful music with. And then you find out that they're not as loyal to you. But you forego other projects because you're really deep into this project or at least the people that you're playing with or the band the band that you're playing with and then you realize that they're not as committed as you are sorry now it's getting personal but that's happened to me too many times to count and you realize at some point that as much as you keep these loyalties and promises and you're a great person congratulations but what did what did you what did you have to give up in order to keep that loyalty or keep that promise you literally lost, Dave, you lit- I'm going to say this out loud. I lost years of my life being loyal to people who just weren't that into it. Truth. Dave, mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like you're still guilty of this. I love you so much, but sometimes you just got to say, screw it. You know what I mean? Oh, you're trying to give me advice right now? Yeah, I think. Bitch? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I am still guilty of this. Yeah. It's like this. It's like uh, thinking that the lions aren't going to eat you just because you're not going to eat the lion. You don't mean the lion any harm, but the lion's going to eat you anyway. So it's kind of like that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Does it also kind of extend to the end of the episode where Daryl felt the need to apologize for something that wasn't his fault? To Isabel. Yeah. Uh, in the cell. Like he broke like his promise to her because. You mean his covenant? His. <laughs> Ah, Bridget. Oh, this episode is all like about it. covenants. Okay, yeah, yeah. innocent, yeah. innocent. Well, it's it's probably, but it, this is this show is no stranger to bringing up constantly promises broken, promises mm-hmm. broken. And this, well, as I was talking about loyalty, I realized suddenly popped into my head. Isn't that what Daryl did? Didn't Daryl lose years of his life chasing after the ghost of Rick Grimes, and he just stopped living? Period. Now we had said at the time when we were breaking all these different instances where we referenced that moment. And other things is that Daryl never really lived for himself. Not really. And watching him start to with Leah was why why I liked Leah at first. Obviously, later on, it, it was weird and uncomfortable. But And it's why I didn't want to see her go, because that is a representation of him finally living. For, and then you see mm-hmm. him taking care of the kids. And that's something sort of for himself. But as a parent, you know damn well that uh, as much as you love your kids, everything you do is for them and... You get something out of it. I'm sure you do. But I'm sure the exchange is more one-sided than the other. They kind of depend on you to live. So is it for him, though? Which is why when he mentioned Connie first, I was like, yeah! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Don't be <laughs> mad at me. I'm just... We're trying to trying to move on right now. So I, Dave says, if I'm, I'm Fear of the Walking Dead Season 8. Anyway, so... <laughs> I love this exchange so much because it says so much about Daryl. But later on in the episode, he gets really mad at Laurent. Mm-hmm. Because he cuts the boat loose and he loses his mind. 
And that's why I thought that when Daryl was talking about causes, he was talking about his father and, and that cause made his father into a monster. And that transfers down to your children. And this is no strange thing that some people will, I, I don't want to talk too much in depth about this, but daughters without fathers, let's say, will end up doing things that the mother will do to survive. And I don't want to talk about what those things are. <laughs> well, there you go, Bridget. She's making a face. So there you go. Well, because I grew up. <laughs> and sons dad. too, sons without, without fathers. And you'll see this transfer over intergenerationally. Mm-hmm. Because of this learn, learned behavior, it's not genetic, but it's learned behavior that transfers down to the generations. So when we see that happen, I, I instantly thought of it. I love having that pretext to refer back to and say, well, now we get to see this other dimension of Daryl where, yeah, maybe there's a reason for his hot headedness all this time. And it, and it goes back to that, what he learned as, as a child or from his dad, even though he probably never wanted to be that way. I hated that mother. Well, right. I have a horrible temper and I can guarantee that it comes from my dad. But it's learned behavior. It was right? modeled like, oh, for that's... me as a child. Yeah. I grew up in the kind of house where there were holes in the walls because he used to get so pissed. You know, if he wasn't hitting my mom, he was hitting the walls or the door. Something. My brother's door had a hole in it for my entire life. As long as we lived there. <laughs> when I was watching the episode and that happened, I said like out loud, I was like, Oh no, Daryl, you're acting exactly like your dad because that's all I could think of. That's how his dad would have been with him. And that was just like really heartbreaking to see that because you hope that he had, you know, broken that cycle or whatever. Some things like it almost just feels like they're unavoidable. This comes back to that stupid therapist I had that I talked about last week with the cyclical melodrama. Like it's the same thing. Like my temper is horrible. And it's like one of those things that I have a lot of regret and fear about because I can just really fly off the handle about stuff. And even though in your head, you're like, stop, stop doing this. Stop doing this. It's not worth getting this angry over. I can't stop it. I don't want you to be the only one to go through this. So I'm going to tell you a very embarrassing story (laughs) about my friend's rehearsal dinner. Okay. This is very apropos to this podcast. We're at my friend's rehearsal dinner. I'm part of the wedding party. And so is my other friend. My one friend is the groom. My other friend is with me. They're both part of the wedding party. He and another friend who shall rename nameless, we're going on about, did you do this with your podcast? Did you do that with your podcast? Well, when are you going to get around to doing this with your podcast? And in my head, I'm going, oh, he means well. I know he means well, but he's really starting to get me riled up. And I'm going to tell you this. I'm not a person who fly, who flies off the handle very often. I don't, I don't have as much of a temper. I usually think things through. I know I have this in me, but I could feel it rising up and I'm trying to calm myself down. I'm like, listen, can we not talk about this? It's, I just, can we move on from this? It's like that sort of side jab thing. They're enjoying the fact that I haven't done so many things that people ought to do with the podcast. Meanwhile, in my head, I even know that the fact that they're making fun of it means that they're jealous of it, right? You know the, the logic of why they're doing this and the rise they're, they're trying to get out of me. And just like Janae, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. <laughs> and realize one thing. I'm surrounded by my other friends, friends and family from both sides at this rehearsal dinner. And I'm with my wife next to me and I can't help myself, but my voice suddenly starts to get really loud and I can't control it. I'm telling them I can't remember exactly what I said because, of course, I had no control over my vocal cords in that moment. 
saying, I just told you like something to the effect of, I just told you, I don't want to talk about this right now. You have to be so annoying. And do you have to, do you have to keep going on and on and on and on about something I don't want to talk about as if you think you know what's best for this podcast that I've been doing for the past several years? I mean, what do you do? like? I mean, I let him have it too. It's kind of like you're always so goddamn afraid to pull the trigger on something new, and you always blame it on your ADHD. I'm getting this is getting very personal. He knows he's going to know what I'm talking about. Oh, no. But realize this: if you do, if this is you, I'm not proud of this moment. There's nothing I could have done about it because my temper got the better of me, and I reached to the depths of the things that would hurt him the most in that moment, so I could just get him to stop. So I would say things that were like personal to him. Then you say you're going to do something and you don't. Like, wouldn't it be cool if I did this? And, and then, but you don't do anything. You don't start anything. You don't even create personal projects. You act as if you know everything, especially about my podcast. And who the are you to even begin to tell me what I ought or ought not to do with this podcast? You no starter, stupid mother. Oh, God. My heart is beating right now. We're trying to recall all the awful things I said that and loudly and in front of all my friends and family. I am your father. <laughs> I'm not, I'm knowing it, but this is me trying to control it, knowing full well this was happening. This was going to happen. And I'm like, it, it's happening. It's happening. I should I get up? I should probably get up. <laughs> and you like you're playing all these, like, how do I circumvent this situation? That's going to happen. And I feel like I have no control over it to get inside my mind right now. I will be a bit more transparent. I usually save this for story time with Kira on TikTok. I never had a father. I never had a father figure because the father figure I did have was a child molester. And so I have a horrible temper, one horrible enough to get me arrested twice. And I was just lucky enough to not have it tarnish my record the way it could have and stop me from getting this job that I have right now. But when he was around, all he did was drugs or beat up my mother. And so I have had to have multiple conversations with my current husband, Richie, about me having to overcome a strong dislike for men that I didn't know I had. It's because of this experience with your yeah. dad figure person. My grandmother's husband. I see. I see. Okay. You know, they're like, oh, well, you know, your dad had to be around at some point. And I'm like, so you want me to remember the few times that my dad was around when all he did was punch my mother in the face or sit in the car and do drugs. <laughs> so, yeah, that was you had a wonderful. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It gets passed down to your kids and hopefully not get. You know what? You're doing a great job with, with your kids, I think. And so on top of the fact that as the years go by, things can change other figures in their lives can come in and help them break the cycle mm. and maybe even bringing it back to this episode. When this happens, he sees it right away. I could see myself mm. in Daryl in the moment. Why the, would you do this? I just talked about the people I cared about, what the thing I'm trying to get back to. I let you in and all you do, and you went this thing up, you everything up. I'm trying to help you it up. I'm trying not to curse too much on the show. Well, and he, he calls him like, he calls him a name and, and tells him uh, he's worthless. Names. Yeah. And yeah. I could, that was the moment that I was like, that's, that's your dad, Daryl. That's not even you. That's what he said. You want to know what the worst part about that is? Is that you can see signs and you see this a little later on after this blow up. He gives every indicator, first of all, that he's trying to do what Daryl says. You know, I'm going to learn how to gut a fish, even though he kind of avoids it at first and he, whatever. 
but he wants to be strong. Praying for Daryl's friend, and he says, quote unquote, because Daryl doesn't know how to pray. But he also says something to the fact that I want to be strong like Daryl because Daryl is strong also. And then later on, after this blow up, can't I stay with you? You only have to tell me something once and I'll I'll do whatever you say. Isn't that heartbreaking? The toughest part of that scene for me was me looking at Daryl react that way and seeing myself because me too. I know I'm completely capable of that. I feel like in that one moment, he saw him breaking his promise to Isabel because now he doesn't know how to get Laurent where he needs to go. He's breaking his promise to Carol to come home. Everything just fall, fell apart in this one stupid decision that this kid made. And, well, and he just, hit the stupid his stupid decision to fly off the handle. I don't right, know if it, it's not right. as much a decision, but isn't right. that like everything in his life that he regrets? Like, Well, I was one? thinking he also might have been thinking about the wood chopping kid. Like you said, when Laurent says, I'll do anything you want, that's also what the woodchopping kid mm. said to Juno and the Damn others. You know? And I think maybe when he said worthless, I think he feels bad that he didn't take the kid with him. He should have known those guys were like that. You know, he knows people like that. And so he feels bad now that he has Laurent with him, who was in the same position that kid was. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's depending on someone else. And he makes a mistake like the other kid made with going with those guys. What made me think that was when you said, he said, I'll do anything you want. And that was exactly what once. the, exactly yeah. what Woodchopper said to Juno. You know what? Also, as the kid is walking away, the young man with the Woodchopper, he goes to chop the wood. They're saying in the background, oh, he's, he's worthless. Literally what Daryl says, who are these guys if not an avatar for the kind of maybe dad that he had? Could probably be worse, maybe. Probably, I assume worse than these guys, but the, the echoes, the three echoes of what his dad was to him. Ah, I'm just joking around. Sexual deviancy. <laughs> that wasn't a joke to Daryl, apparently. So even though he kind of put up with it for as long as he could. When I was younger, my cousin hid my shoe once when we went to his house because he didn't want us to leave. He's probably like, let me think. He's probably 35 right no, now. No, he's, he's like 30. 30 he's like 30 now. Yeah, yeah. I think he's four years younger than I am. And we went to stay at his house. We must have lived in North Carolina at the time, I think, but they live in Michigan. And so we went to go see them. And so we're, you know, my aunt and uncle and and everybody, and I'm trying to leave. And I'm telling my mom, like, I can't find my shoe. Like, I cannot find it. And he had hid it down in their basement, like under a kid's table or something. And when we confronted him about it, he did admit that it was because he didn't want us to leave, which is just like so sweet, but all but it, a time, real annoyance. Lost her mind. It just brought that to my mind when we were when this happens, where he cuts the line for the boat. And going to Daryl's reaction to himself, Laurent saying, "Isabel is gone, and when we get to the nest, you'll be gone. All the people I love are gone." Mm-hmm. Pay attention to Daryl's face in that moment. It's almost Norman Reedus acting. Norman Reedus seeing this kid deliver this line, because I kept thinking about the acting process and I kept imagining Norman sitting Luis down and going, listen, I'm going to do this thing. And I just, I want to give you a big hug right now, but I'm going to do this thing and it's going to be wild. I'm going to yell at you a lot. Use it, but just know that this is, I'm going to do this and it's going to be jarring. And, and so when he's in that scene and he sees Laurent, but Luis start to tear up and say the, the line, I saw, I saw him like step backwards and his his lip was quivering. He was trying to breathe. He's trying to take a breath. I I lost it. I lost it complete twice. The two times I watched this episode, I lost it. Knowing what that feels like, suddenly it's like cold water being thrown on you when you're on fire. You don't think it was that so also disarming. 
reminded him of Judith saying the stuff that she said to him about everybody leaving. And she knows that if she tells him her secret, he's going to leave too. About Michonne going yeah. off to find mm-hmm. Rick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which uh, he knows. He knows. I remember he knows. So he knows Rick is alive. That's mm-hmm. how we know that he knows that he's alive. Ugh, and that's in the ether too. You know, I knew that this was what the one thing I really, really did want to talk about because the, that whole conversation and then going to Laurent, the, the conversation with Aslan and going to Laurent, they have ties. They, they're so strong and it's such a big part of the episode too. First of all, thank you. First of all, and this is, I'm not ending the show. I'm just saying thank you for sharing with all of us because it really goes to what I thought about this moment too, from all our different perspectives. Just a cr- small correction. Laurent, starts to say his prayers about Daryl's friends. And he says, and he says, cause Daryl knows, doesn't know how to pray, which I thought was hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then after uh, his conversation with Aslan, he overhears him and says, please, Lord, let me be strong. Like Daryl is strong. <sighs> Laurent wants to be like his father figure, right? He's acknowledging in a, in a weird way that this is, this is like a, or like that. Maybe like to your point, maybe that's how your cousin saw you. Someone to look up to Bridget. I mean, I was a slightly older cousin, so yeah. I think but he didn't natural. want you to leave. Aslan bites it. I love how we get the, an idea of what happened as a result of the aftermath. You see the burnt up walker. You see Aslan's burnt. They rolled around on the campfire. Great visual storytelling. And then Aslan, this guy who I would choose to guard my body every time, even though he didn't quite get to do it this way. So <laughs> he takes it in stride. Right? So inappropriate. Okay. Yes. He he realizes the cosmic humor in the moment. He also realizes that it is what was meant to be in his own way. The cosmic joke of his father worked in the telephone company all his life. There's just something about this guy. He doesn't. He's not sad about it. He's sad, but he's not regretful like some characters would be. Mm-hmm. He's not crying. He's not. He's not angry. There's just something beautiful about this moment. Like he's, it's sad as it is. He's not like R.J. Gaines. <laughs> I'm an American. He f- believes that he's fulfilled his part that he was supposed to fulfill. Like the Mother Superior in the first episode. Yeah, because this mm-hmm. is the covenant he made with God is that he would help to further this union of hope. And he's done his task and he can go home now, essentially, is the belief. Which, you know, if you have an immense faith, I think you lose some of that fear in death because you're promised something better on the other side. So... What's there to be afraid of? Right. He does recite something. It is translated to English. This is from the second surah of the Quran. The phrase is commonly recited by Muslims, either in the midst of being tested by life, both as a sign of patience and an acknowledgement that God is the Almighty, and that he will not test his worshipers more than they can bear, which is interesting because I know that's a common phraseology amongst many Abrahamic religions. God won't test his worshipers more than they can bear. More popularly, though, obviously, it is used by... Muslims upon hearing that someone has passed. Inna ilahi wa inna ilahi raijun. So you say that, and what that means is, like it says in the show, indeed we belong to Allah and to him we shall return. After that you say, may Allah grant, in this case, Aslan, paradise. In Arabic it's janat al-firdus. What's better than that? <laughs> indeed we all belong to Allah and to him we shall return. Like in, in Hebrew, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Mm-hmm. It's the same premise. But we came from this. We're, we're just going back to this mm. natural state. You know, we, we were granted autonomy for a little while to do deeds. And hopefully they were good. And, you know, we're just coming back. We're just coming back. Hey, oh, hey, God, I was out for a walk <laughs> for 80 years, basically. 
Was that, oh, how, what uh, is going on up there or down there, wherever you end up? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but I, there's nothing more beautiful than that. And of course, the burial, again, with Laurent and burials, he just says the things. He First of all, he brings the prayer beads. Or they're more like meditation beads that Muslims will do the counting thing. I think this is in Christianity as well, if I'm not mistaken, right? The rosary? Catholicism, specifically. Catholicism, Catholicism mm -hmm. right. Specifically in Christianity, Regent. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like a but, like a Protestant doesn't do the rosary. I mean, right, right, it's not right. that you couldn't if you grew up Catholic, but then converted to some other uh, sect of Protestant religion. No one's going to be like, you can't do that anymore. Yeah, weirdo. What are you doing? You know, it's the same thing with my branch of church has churches in Florida, and that is a predominantly Roman Catholic area, and they're members still cross themselves. And that's not something in the Lutheran tradition, but no one's going to tell you not to do it. Like if that's the way that you pray, there's nothing wrong right. with that. It's fine. Right. You just jump ship. You brought some things with you. Yeah, that's, that's all. Fine. You brought some belongings. <laughs> when we moved into Mary's place with the nuns, they gave us all rosary. Oh, you keep talking about really cool things that they did for you. Thank God for them, right? Yeah. So he drops the the prayer. The they're more meditation beads for Muslims. It makes them think of God when they're thinking, when they're fidgeting. It helps them think of God all the time. So they keep they turn it in their hands. My parents used to talk to talk about it all the time. They always used to when they're having coffee out in the street and they're just constantly doing this. So they're thinking of God. Yeah, they're a lot of Christians have those um stones. There's like these carved wooden crosses. They have a unique shape to them, but they fit in the palm of your hand. So people mm -hmm. carry those around in their pocket. They call them like pocket prayers or whatever, but they're like a little stone that's carved with a cross on it. And so people, mm -hmm. you know, if they're a fidgeter, they'll put their hand in their pocket and like rub the cross that's there. And it's it helps the them stop thing. the fidget too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he says this and I didn't catch on first watch. He goes, ma'asalam. He goes, so like, you know, the greeting is wa'alaikum ma'asalam. It's like, salam alaikum. It's peace be upon you. It's just such a little touch that I didn't notice at first. The same as the nanu nanu for Madame Dubois. It's just a beautiful moment that if you missed it, go watch it again. Last a quarter of a second. Before that big conversation with, with uh, Aslan that Daryl has, he mentions Lasang and what, what he set out to do, the nest. Is it a great, whatever. He mentions the watch story, Aslan. That's meant to remind you of Herschel and Glenn. Mm -hmm. That is meant to. Yeah, yeah. Before the lone wolf conversation, he mentions that like Abraham told, was told by God to leave his birthplace and mm -hmm. to have a covenant with him. So too are you on this journey leaving, I mean, not your literal birthplace, but your rebirth place, right? The Walking Dead universe makes you the person that you were meant to be. And undoubtedly, this is rebirth, Daryl, into the man he is now. But now he's being told that you need to leave your birthplace and, and be in the land that's promised to you. So in a way, he's saying, yeah, Francis, uh, that's your, it's your new home. That's the way it is, guy. That's uh, sorry, you're not coming back to the, the people that you love. That's what's going to happen. How do you feel about that first? <laughs> Like, I'm testing you. You know that. Rachel's going to be like, no, I want no. Yeah, I'm using I mean, Rachel as a prop, by the way. <laughs> I, don't. I don't know what she really thinks. Well, I don't think she'd be happy about that. <laughs> I don't think she'd be happy about it. Um, <laughs> I don't think she really thinks that either. I, but yeah, not literally. Yeah, I don't love that idea of this being like a permanent situation. I knew we'd find the line though, right? Yeah, I don't <laughs> love that idea. I can understand being gone for a while and, and seeing this through. I can understand that, but... Not Daryl. Just I mean, with Morgan, it's okay, never right? Never trying, never trying to come back. Even Morgan came back. Tried, maybe, mm -hmm. sort of half-heartedly. You know? So a couple times, if, right? Right, Charity. 
Just we, I know a place we can no. maybe go back and then, we'll, <laughs> and then we'll forget about it an episode later because of a hurricane or whatever. Yeah, and he, he doesn't mean forever. He sort of means until that covenant has been completed. Well, again, or just like the Nazirut, there's a term. It reminds me right? of the wise men and King Herod and how we talked about that, how uh, we talked about that earlier in this season that they told Herod of what was going on. And then Jesus and his family, they had to flee to Egypt wasn't forever. It was for a while. And there's many instances of that throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Oh, Joseph. Yeah. People having to leave and then either they come back or they're reunited with their people or this was just the path that they were meant to take was down this specific road. And it's the same thing with us and our lives. You know, I left North Carolina as a teenager and I always said that I would come back as soon as I was 18. I didn't come back until I was 30 something. I'm back, but who even knew that I was going to end up here? And now it's so different that I don't even really want to stay here because it's not like it was when I grew up. It's very different. The The area that I live in is growing at a really alarming rate. And so I'm not interested in that. People. It's like too many people. In a sense, it'll always be home for you. But yeah, but can I, home is where the heart can I is find my that? home somewhere else? I, I'm married now. And so my home is wherever my husband and I decide that we want to be you know my dad passed i did reconnect with my dad that story does have a a happier ending he apologized for being the kind of person that he was my whole life and so i don't have my dad here anymore and i do have uh his sisters but uh, much like i told them i feared would happen as soon as my dad passed uh we no longer speak so i don't have any family Blood here hatfields mccoys <laughs> God only knows what the hell's going on there. But anyway, so I don't have any family here, so I don't really have any obligation here. And I do work for my church and I enjoy my field of work and I enjoy the work that I'm doing. But I'm here for a reason because otherwise I very most definitely would have died already. Because if you know my story, I did and I'm I'm still here. So I believe there's a further purpose for me. I don't know what that purpose looks like yet. So uh, obviously it's squawking dead. So end of story. That's so funny because um, that's it. My pastors have said that this is so, so funny that they've said that one, they know that I'm a haunted podcast, which is like a whole different thing. And then two, they're like, well, one of these days you're just going to leave because you're just going to be famous. You're going to go do this instead. And I was like, that's very encouraging. That's insane and like never going to happen. But they're like, yeah, it'll happen. It's so weird. <laughs> I talked I talk to this guy. We have a personal relationship, basically. <laughs> hey, man, you know what? Keep it up. I can use all the help I can get from whatever religion decides to give it. Going to that conversation, and you're right. When Daryl responds and says, Abram, he was called Abram instead when, until God called him Abraham, Abraham. So, yeah, the H, there's a little H is kind of like a shorthand for God. The H, Abraham. Anyway, you guys get it, right? You, you're, you're, you went to Jewish day school. <laughs> So <laughs> I did not, but you're right. <laughs> I did know that. <laughs> and Sarai, it turned into Sarah because mm-hmm. it's the H, Sarah, A-H. Okay, so this brings us actually to Quinn. <laughs> Isaac became Isaac. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, Isaac was always Isaac. I'm Jesus. <laughs> it was a joke, Dave. It was I'm, a joke. I know. I know. That's I'm playing into your joke. It's, it's, I'm a good person. So... <laughs> Hey, I'm going to say this now because I know you're all going to not like me, even though I'm going to probably repudiate myself. But Quinn, at least in terms of Isabel, in my opinion, only because I know I'm going to be outnumbered. I think he really is trying to redeem himself in the eyes of Isabel and nobody else. (laughs) And the reason why I say this is because of what he says, 
not just because it's some random verse in the Bible. Quinn knows that Isabel is trying to kill him. He submits himself on the altar of God, just like Isaac knew what was going on. A lot of the times when people talk about Akedat Yitzchak, which is roughly translating it to the the offering of Isaac or the slaughtering of Isaac as like a lamb on the altar as a offering to God. Abraham, when he hears this, obviously in the Bible, he says, yeah, no problem. That's what you want me to do. That's what I'm going to do. The angels are worrying about this. And Abraham's like, okay, what's the problem? No reservations. So just like Quinn knows, does not even react. He knows this could be the moment where he dies. You can even see it. I saw in the second watch. He looks down, he sees the shiv and looks up at her and goes, if that's in, in, in his own way, if that's the way it's going to be, that's what God wants. And guess what? It was just the right thing for her to, to stop what she was about to do. That's why I feel like it was in a manipulation, but yep. I, I know I get it. I get it. And maybe that's true. I'm open to all things. Okay. Let's say what happens at the end. And that's the sign that maybe he's not on the straight and narrow and not trying to redeem himself. Or maybe it's a sign that he is when he's in the cell with Daryl and it's about to fade to the flashback on the boat. I held up my end of the bargain. All you had to do was was hold up yours and everything would have been great. You American ponce, first of all, he says that. You better sleep with one eye open. And then he trails off, obviously, because of the flashback. The flashback zoom. But that alone gets you to think, well, was he trying to redeem himself with Isabel? But then again, don't actions speak louder than words? He did hold up his end of the bargain against Janae's wishes knowing that it's possible that Janae might retaliate, knowing the thing that I said at the end of the episode, is some, which is something that we all thought, that without Laurent, what chance does Quinn even have of keeping Isabel? Sure. But yeah. do you know why I think that he's still an absolute scumbag? Just a, Please, a walking it. piece of fecal matter? Because instead of going to this other woman that I can't remember her name. Oh, Anna Valeri? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever her name is. <laughs> so instead of going to her and saying like, I'm done. You already know we're done. Right, right. He doesn't say anything. He just lets her find out. Much like he wasn't going to like own up to being Laurent's dad. He was just like, I'll just take you to a hospital. Don't care if you die or not. Or the, if my son dies or not. I don't really care. But that was 12 years ago. And he's still a scumbag. He's he still doesn't tell her. He's still the same person. And that's how he gets yeah. in trouble. Because she so goes and rats so him out. Because he's an idiot. Own up but, to your actions. Excuse me. I get it. But I really thought about it. Not because I didn't. I wanted to support this theory. Because I really don't. I've said how I felt about this guy. Quinn apologist. Based on what we've seen. <laughs> So based on what I said in the last episode, there's every reason for me to not like this guy based on my own life experience, too. Let's go a little bit further on the Abraham Isaac thing for a second, because I love how layered this line is, because it's not only talking about him being ready to accept whatever Isabel decides. And it's true. This could be the perfect mm, piece de resistance, the most ultimate manipulation tactic. However, it also says, who is the son if not Laurent? I sacrificed my own son for your cause, too. You know that saying? I, I don't know if you have the saying, but it's the same as Abraham. It means I'll do it and you'll tell me why it's important later. Meaning I'll, you tell me what to do, God, let's say. God, give me the laws and the, thing, the rules I should live by. And then maybe later I'll, I'll learn about what they mean, why it is that I'm supposed to do it. Do you know what love bombing is? Yes, I do. Listen, we can all disagree. I, again, I'm not I'm not beholden to this, but I will. You got to admit the layering of this analogy is so good. Sure. It's so good that no, I it's agree. enough to get me to even just 
for even a moment or maybe longer, think twice. I agree. I enjoy and, it. But like I said, I think it's a manipulation on his part. He's a yeah, narcissist. I never thought he is twice a narcissist. About he's a and he, I still think he's a narcissist. Yeah, and he 100% <laughs> will use whatever he has to to convince her to break a covenant with God, which is beyond me that you would even attempt this. But that's how narcissistic this piece of garbage is. Mm-hmm. So on that note, I think there's something interesting that you have there. Because the way I see it, I think his desire to redeem himself to Isabel is his way of making making a covenant with her, which is interesting because it will cause her to break her covenant with God because he thinks as a narcissist, well, what person wouldn't want someone else to worship them? If you're right about that, it's the way he sees the world. So of course he tries to see, oh, well, why wouldn't you want me if I'm ready to worship you or I'm ready to do everything I can to be a better person for you. So I'm I'm on board with what you're saying. Why would he think that that would be more important to her than her relationship with God? Let me just say, just like Sharon D, I am because not a very religious person at all. Right. But you don't know how much it pisses me off to see him on one hand think that she's just going to be like, oh, you're so wonderful that I, I don't care what promise I made to God. I'm just going to be with you instead. But then you're using God to like flirt with her. Yeah, he's gross. He's being gross. Hey, listen. Yeah, he's gross. <laughs> well, okay, so Dave, you're the you're Don't approaching the this. You're approaching this from the angle that Quinn is capable of love. Mm-hmm. Not me. And I would argue that narcissists are not capable of love. Oh, I never said love, by the way. And so I'm not saying yeah, that. So I just I'm saying worship. I was being particular with worship. And you know what? Can we take that a little bit further? Haven't we known a guy? Let's say it's a guy. Who would put a woman up on a pedestal? Maybe not even just as a person that they love, but maybe as a person that makes it, that they see as a, we can call it status symbol. This woman is a reflection of who I am as a person or who I want to be. And so in being with her, I am that. With Quinn, it's somebody who can be redeemed or somebody who can change. I'm going to go anyway. It's been like th- almost three and a half hours, but um, I love you guys. Okay. I'm just going to go and let it upload. Okay. All right. Love you. Okay. Thank you, Sharandy. Bye, Sharandy. Bye. Bye. I feel better. Jeanette, I just can't stand her. Like, I thought Jeanette? I could. Janae, sorry. Jeez. So disrespectful. I stand this lady. She deserves to have me mispronounce her name. <laughs> you, you took my bait. I'm glad you took my bait. <laughs> disrespectful how? To humanity. Well, especially after our Nazi conversation in the last episode, too. Yeah, just her ideals and... Like, those people are the bad people. (sighs) So dangerous. And it's dangerous because people are falling for it and eating it right up. Yep. Just like the French Revolution, Mm -hmm. right? It didn't stop with the aristocracy. You had members of the church, you know, obviously who were in league with the aristocracy, but they slaughtered members of the church in France, which is why I said in the first episode... No matter how much iconography you see on this show, France is a very long line of mistrusting the church too. Not a very long line, but it's this weird extreme, obviously. And you have this brand of socialism that's there. And there's a very huge mistrust for religious authority too. Among those who are very devout, and there's a very long line of people who adhere to Christianity there. It's such a feast or famine thing. This brings us to Quinn being caught right-handed by Janae. He comes right in. To Maison Mer. Yeah, Maison Mer. Which is the parent company, <laughs> technically. Mer meaning mother, the home base. 
Anyway, as he's coming in, they're bringing in the guy he bribed. His goose is cooked. Mm. And he says, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, un, un pot de vin. And what's interesting about that expression is it comes from when cities in France, like you mentioned in the first episode, I think it was either Sharandy or Brit, you, Bridget, how many cities were walled and were on hills. That was Sharandy. And when that happened, you had to have guards that, was, that were guarding the walls. And what these merchants would do was they would offer these pots of wine as bribes because the guards were paid so unwell, so crappily that wine to them was a luxury that they could never have. And so in the merchants who were happy to give them a product like that to enjoy in their homes, in order to get by the gates and get product in and out without having to pay the taxes for them, mm. that's where the, it, the that expression. expression for bribery comes from. Okay, Goose is cooked. He gets thrown in the cell with Daryl. I said what I said about, <laughs> you better sleep with one eye open <laughs> to quit to Daryl, which, okay, got me to think twice about him, but who wouldn't do whatever for the woman they love and then treat everybody else like crap. You hear stories about that all the time. Time immemorial. Didn't he already get his ass kicked? Yeah, I know. Well, you know, listen, he, that's another thing that really got me is that he did this. He didn't want to get revenge over Daryl too. In spite of the instinct to get revenge on this American, he did this for Isabel. That, see, it feeds into the idea that, okay, maybe he did this, all this for Isabel, but it doesn't mean he's like a good guy. It doesn't mean he's still not a jerk. The speech, the confrontation of Laurent and Janae, we talked about that a little bit. And then we get to the end. Okay, and this dovetails very well with the, the fast variant that we see on the boat and that we see, see that. And that's the thing. I wonder what if this is not only a fast walker, but he kind of also looks like a burner. A mm -hmm. fast walker that is a burner is a very, very powerful weapon. That's what they created at the end, right? That's what I was wondering what you were thinking as well. I feel like he was already a burner and then they injected him with something to turn him into that fast, aggressive walker. Yeah. That was my exact assumption. I was thrown a little bit because I've been having all these ideas about the variants and why they exist and stuff like that. It's like a part of my brain all this time completely forgot that the first variant we saw was not created. She literally just woke up that way. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, that that kind of eliminates 50 percent of the things I was thinking about the variant. Which variant are you talking about? The one at World the end Beyond. of World Beyond. Unless she wasn't shot by a bullet. I thought about this, actually. Mm. What if it, she was shot by a bullet that had whatever compound was being administered mm. to this walker at the end of the episode? Does that mean they are coming over to America and like infecting our walkers? Well, this the scene in World Beyond it is in France, though. I, I know, but we have variants. Oh, okay. So it's, <laughs> we have variants. Oh, well, aren't they a little bit different than they're not as aggressive, yeah, but they are, are a bit different. Slower. Yeah, they are. But they're still. smarter walkers. Is what people call them, right, smart yeah. walkers. Well, this one climbs <laughs> Juno on the boat. Mm -hmm. Frightening, too. It reminds me of Doctor Who. Oh, the... The Daleks. What are those called? The <laughs> I was going to say the Cylons. Ooh. No. Why, what is... With, the, anyway, da, the Daleks. And, um, it could climb stairs. And, yeah, oh, and they well, can't yeah, climb okay. stairs. But then all of a sudden it just has like a little jetpack and like hovers up it's so funny it's so funny well this walker did not have a jetpack but you know it's one thing if it was a you know just freshly turned walker okay i guess he can walk up the stairs but you got to see a gr good look at that walker mm -hmm. when he first gets on the boat and it is emaciated gaunt the rib cage is showing imagine that running up the stairs just nightmare fuel just dwell on that for a moment. And okay, the walker that we're seeing at the end, <laughs> quite literally, if we're, we're taking the, the Hulk 
metaphor, seriously, mm-hmm. that Janae says, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. That thing is green, is in a green jumpsuit. <laughs> eyes turn black and is about to rip Daryl to shreds. They, I, it's not, it doesn't have purple shorts, uh, Dave. <laughs> maybe it's under the jumpsuit. You, If it is, I will shit my pants <laughs> live. We'll do a live episode where I shit my pants and that's going to happen. But then again, I might break my promise because of a different covenant that I'm making. So <laughs> I made a private covenant to God that I would not poop my pants. In my pants. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's let's break even. I'll wear depends and you'll never know. <laughs> I'm like, Quinn, got to keep, you got to fool the masses <sighs> into thinking I might, though. Anywho, the only thing I want to say about that is if it turns out to be a burner and an aggressive walker. That confirms some of the things that I've been saying about the burners being failed experiments or successful experiments that they're like, just have at it. Just just go out. The you are lab rats. You're no longer necessary unless we're privately monitoring you. I don't know. The government's scary sometimes. I know it's like a Patriot small Act. thing, uh-huh. but what is it that's happening to them that he couldn't even figure out how to use his like arms and legs at first when he was trying to like get up the ladder and then he snapped out of it kind oh. of and like got it together. You guys were talking about that earlier as though it was I, incapable I of so they're still dead. Like they are still, <laughs> they are still dead. Well, it's just that they're still dead. So the part of their brain, we've seen the part of their brain that reactivates. It's a tiny little piece of their brain that works. So that is trying to control everything yeah, else. So I just felt like that's just natural that it would be clumsy and like not super capable. It's not that I don't know. I don't think it's like regaining. I think it just it just is like that. I think that's okay. Well, maybe it's interesting because maybe some of that is imagine adding more electricity to that one part of the brain. Sure. But also accessing the neocortex. So neocortex cortex is responsible for your body's learned behavior, how you can suddenly make a movement, know exactly where your arms are going to go. I'm waving my arms for the podcast audience. But things that you don't even th- have to think about as much anymore, like breathe. Breathing is more the medulla, right? Like reaching for a doorknob and knowing exactly how much you need to twist it without even thinking about mm. it. Concatenated movements because your brain likes to categorize things. That's all located in the, in the neocortex. So what if you had access to that? Well, of course, now you know how to walk up the stairs or run up the stairs, as it were. I like that you brought that up because that's scary. (laughs) They can do all the things they knew how to do in life. Maybe not exactly, but it's accessing this muscle memory of walking upstairs, opening doors. But now they're aggressive. (laughs) Stop it, Walking Dead Universe. Very aggressive. I mean, it's not only the fact that they're aggressive. They'll never tire. You hit them, they'll fall down, they'll get back up very fast. This was, this was World and I mean, War he Z. tore him open before he bit him. Got to get that meat. You got to you got to open the crab right in Maine. You got to open <laughs> that lobster. <laughs> he opened him up like a lobster tail. Lobster did not wait for the butter. I do love lobster. <laughs> it's the clip. I, of course, probably have more to talk about, but I am a merciful God. And so with that, everybody, if you like what you heard from the almighty, <laughs> Rate this podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash squawkingdead. Five stars and an aubergine is all we need to know that you love us. But tell us what you liked. Tell us what you didn't like, especially that part, because we love that. We take criticism very well here. (laughs) Apparently. And tell us what we might have missed. 
But remember to tell us after every episode. And if you really like what we're doing and you want to be a part of these recording sessions, it doesn't cost anything to first follow us on either Kofi or Patreon. And second, to join us in these recording sessions. Both are free. And the fun part is our Kofi and Patreon is the only place where we post our recording sessions. Free to join us both there in our recording sessions. And if you really like what we're doing and you think we're on the right track and you especially like this episode where we went really deep with our feelings, think about either tipping us on ko-fi.com slash dead. And if you're really committed and you're loyal like I am, when I probably shouldn't be, <laughs> consider joining a membership on either Kofi or Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. And you'll get instant access to not only what tippers get, which is the unedited episode recordings, but also our Discord where more conversations are happening every single day. Not just on the Walking Dead universe, but hey, how are you? How you doing? Oh, I'm not feeling well. Things like that. Or wars in the Middle East. Why not? And if you're really, 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 really like what we're doing, you could join one of the uh, the higher tiers like the Whispers and Survivors tiers to get 50% off in the merch store, the ability to join us in our Jackbox games live streams, which we haven't done in a while, but hopefully we'll do soon. And also, if you're in the Survivors tier, the ability to join us on screen like Takira has with her cat all over her face and body right now. Well, she is not in she's not in good shape right now. <laughs> With that, everybody, as we close our discussion on the penultimate episode of The Walking Dead, Daryl Dixon, I very much enjoyed this conversation as long as it probably took for all of you. Listen, a little pain for us goes a long way for all of you and a long way into my editing session, but we do it because we love you and we're making a covenant with you. And if you want to join that covenant, well, you know what to do. I just said it. Thank you for watching. Like, share, and subscribe to our content. Subscribe to a podcast platform that you love to listen to these episodes. And we can't wait for you to listen to the next episode, the season finale of The Walking Dead Daryl Dixon. Get ready for the last half of the final episode of Fear the Walking Dead coming October 22nd. Tier, tier, tier. And of course, take care and remember that we are Squawking Dead. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I look like French Stewart because my eyes are so closed. Uh, French Stewart, how apropos <laughs> of nothing. Why do you bother me? Thank you again for listening to another episode of Squawking Dead. We really, really hope you enjoyed this rich discussion full of personal references. And as always, we love to give shout outs at the end of the episode. It's a little perk that our top two tiers receive when you join either ko-fi.com slash squawkingdead or patreon.com slash squawkingdead starting with the survivors tier members. You've got at RealRyanGM on Twitter, at ElisaJones71 on Instagram, or at JonesAJ6 on Twitter. You've got Takira, who was with us on this episode, who you at ko-fi.com slash Connie Dixon for life. That's Connie Dixon, the number four, L-Y-F-E. And of course, Linda Pack Athens, who you can reach at ko-fi.com slash fanartlindy. On to our whispers here, members. We've got at judith.morton on Instagram, at Tyler Philip Cox on both Instagram and Twitter, Aiden Atkin, who you can reach at ko-fi.com slash Aiden Atkin. And on Facebook, we've got at sandy.d.morrison and at lois.morton.54. Really, really really excited for the season finale of The Walking Dead Daryl Dixon, especially after this episode. Look out for the live stream. I think we're going to end up going live on Monday night, a day after the episode airs publicly on AMC. Hang tight. And in the meantime, we are Squawking Dead. Squawking Dead.